What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. As all you guys know, I'm Tyler, and I will be flying solo on this edition of the podcast today. The original plan was to have Curtis on the recap show today, like he has been for every other recap episode throughout the entire 2019 season. But he actually got hung up in the end of Thanksgiving travel mess today. He actually just texted me about a half hour ago to let me know that he's still sitting in traffic right now. His drive's taking about twice as long as it normally does. So he's still en route back to law school as I am recording this. So just a slight adjustment to our original plans here, but it's all good. I got you guys covered today. And actually, with law school final exams starting this week and running through, I think the middle part of next week is what he said. We're actually going to be without Curtis for like the next week or so. But don't worry, he will be back after that. He's not going anywhere. He just needed some time to get ready for his exams because apparently law school is hard or something. I don't know. Uh, That's just what they say. But the plan is for him to be back after the SEC title game to talk some recruiting for the lead up to the early signing period. Obviously, also to break down our bowl assignment, which we will learn all about next weekend. I think next Sunday afternoon. But uh, Charlie will be back with me the rest of the week for our mailbag, our Picks of the Week episodes like she is each and every week. She might even be able to make it on for our game preview show. We're still trying to work that timing out, but she'll be back with me the rest of the week. So we definitely have you guys covered with a ton of SEC Championship content this week. But we're going to have enough time for all of that the rest of the week. Today, I want to spend at least one show reveling in yet another victory over Georgia Tech. It's it never gets old. I I know I know like they aren't even worth our time really. I guess I get that on some level, but it's just so fun beating them. It's just so much fun. So at least for one show, I want to revel in that. And for those keeping count, this victory now makes it 16 out of 19 for the good guys. And this one was as good as it gets. This 52 to 7 beatdown we just put on them was our biggest margin of victory in the entire history of the series. And obviously, whether you were at the stadium this weekend or whether you're watching on TV, you all saw we painted that stadium, that city red once again as we again demonstrated just the essential fact of life that we do, in fact, run this state. And look, like we all knew we were hands down the better team coming in. I laid it out in the preview show for you guys just how bad of a matchup this was for Georgia Tech. I mean, obviously from a talent perspective, they were nowhere near us, but just from like a numbers perspective, from a statistical standpoint, this was a horrific matchup for them. And obviously it played out that way. Uh, It was a completely dominant performance as it should have been against an overmatched team that really, I mean, let's be honest, guys, shouldn't have even been on the same field as us. But if you look at the numbers, you know, we had 500 total yards to 139 total yards for Tech. Uh, They were under 100 total yards until that very last drive of the game against the backups to our backups on defense. We had 26 first downs to their seven first downs. We averaged 6.9 yards per play, again, with our stars only playing about two and a half quarters, to Tech's 2.3 yards per play. We converted 54% of our third downs, whereas Tech only converted 17% of theirs. And, of course, the only stat you really need to know is that final score of 50 two to seven. And the crazy thing is, guys, all of that was done, as I just said, with us beginning to rest our starters and sub liberally after going 38 to seven with over four minutes left in the third quarter. And also with us losing the turnover battle three to one. Rarely do you lose a turnover battle like that and beat a team 
52 to 7 in their house. And it could have been far worse than I mean, we were down there inside the 10 yard line, swift fumbles. Uh, we have a, a missed field goal right before halftime or a field goal that Rod makes in his sleep. He missed that one. So it could have been far worse than that. We should have shut him out if it wasn't for a muff punt there. They don't get any points at all. So it could have been much worse than that. But you know what? I'll take 52 to 7 any day of the week. Uh, and, and so despite the turnover, despite all that, we still utterly dominated this game, which tells you just how big the gap between the two programs is right now. We all knew it, but it just, again, it was all put on full display for us again on Saturday. So, you know, you guys watched the game. We went up 17-0 pretty quick. I will say the second quarter, I don't want to call it concerning, but it was a, it was at least a little rough with that muff punt that set up Tech's only score of the game. Then that was followed by a successful onside kick for Tech. I get that. It was weird, like... We were, if you go back and watch the replay, like we were not caught off guard there. Like Prather Hudson, the guy who made the attempt on the ball there on the onside kick, like he wasn't caught off guard. You could see him the entire time. He was watching the kicker. He knew exactly what was happening. He goes up and makes a play on the ball. He gets hit as soon as he touches it. And I mean, that's a tough play to make. So they executed it really well. Hats off to them. They get the onside kick. It looked like for a second there, maybe they were trying to catch some momentum. But it was really no harm, no foul, because the defense came out there and was able to put that fire out. But then it was DeAndre Swift's turn to put the ball on the ground. Fortunately, Tech missed the field goal attempt on that subsequent drive. But after a solid two-minute drive to get us down to field goal range right before the half, Rodrigo, as I said a minute ago, missed a 42-yard attempt as time expired. So we go into the half 17-7. We dominated that half. It should have been far worse than that, but it was 17-7. But after the half, we very quickly disabused them of any possible notion they might have had that they had a chance in this game, and we just put them out of their misery. That is exactly what happened. Uh, so, you know, this was Tech, guys. We, we know what kind of team Georgia Tech was this year. They were one of the worst teams in, in FBS. So I'm not ready to draw any definitive conclusions off of this one game against a downright terrible Georgia Tech team that just doesn't have the personnel to run the type of offensive system they want to. No, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we have arrived or that scoring 52 points means all of our offensive issues are now a thing of the past. That would just be outright foolish. But what I did see were some things that were, I think you're safe to say, at least encouraging. So that's kind of what I want to run through here uh, for the next part of the show, which is kind of run through some things that I saw that really encouraged me moving forward into the SEC title game this weekend, and hopefully beyond that. We'll see what comes after that. But there are some things that I, I think that we can at least take some heart in moving forward. Now, I'm going to start with the defense here. You know, I mentioned this a second ago. One of the things, I know we gave up a touchdown, which that sucks. I wanted to shut Tech out. That would have been great. It'd been the icing on top of the cake there. But the defense early in that game, especially in the second quarter, was able to put some fires out. In, in the second quarter, our, our offense and our special teams gave them the ball uh, on three consecutive drives inside our territory. One of those was at our 17, another one was at our 47, and then the last one was at our 35 on DeAndre Swiss fumble. But Tech was only able to convert those three drives that started on our side of the field into seven points. And that lone touchdown came on a very rare blown assignment in the secondary where DJ Daniel, he kind of just got confused defending a bunch set, and he was late getting the tight end in the flat. And, and I know it was Tech, but guys, this is what our defense has been doing all year. And this is what they have to continue to do this week against LSU if we're going to have a chance to knock off LSU. They've got to continue to put out fires in the offense when the special teams put them in bad spots. Spots. They got to allow us to continue to stay in games and keep those leads. And, and they did a great job. Again, I know it was tech. I know. I get that. 
But when the defense is put in that kind of spot, especially in back-to-back-to-back drives, you got to come out there in those situations. You're not getting any rest at all. That's a testament to, the number one, the depth that we have and, and the kind of players that we have on the defense side of the ball, the leadership we have on that side of the ball. Because you can see when we came on the field after some of those turnovers, I don't know if it showed on TV, but at the game, you could see the, the defensive guys like, relishing it. They were getting the crowd pumped up. They were ready for that. They were coming out there, guns blazing, ready to, to shut Tech down. And that's exactly what they did with the exception of that one drive, that kind of blown assignment there on the touchdown pass. Um, another thing that, that continues to encourage me, this is not the first time I saw it, but it just kind of continues to encourage me, is this trend defensively of where we are forcing teams to play left-handed. Uh, that is something I talk about a lot when we, do, when we talk, do our preview shows. When you talk about game planning for an offense, your number one goal is to force them to play left-handed. And if you're kind of new to the show, you don't want to know what I mean by that. You haven't heard me talk about that. All that means is quite simply taking away what an offense does best, making them beat you with a secondary option, something that's not what their offense is designed to do. And we have just done an outstanding job of that all year long. We've seen it week after week, the past couple weeks, especially if you go back to the Auburn game a couple weeks back, we forced Bo Nix to throw that ball 50 times. I told you guys in the preview show leading up to that game, the way to beat Auburn was to stifle the run game because that's despite all the spread and window addressing that Gus Malzahn does, they want to run the football downhill at you. If you force a true freshman quarterback as good as he's been at home to throw the ball 50 times, you're going to probably win that football game. That's exactly what we did. Uh, go back to last week against Texas A&M. We forced Kellen Mond to throw it 42 times. I know they have good receivers, but guys, Jimbo Fisher is a pro-style coach. He wants to run the football. Trust me. Uh, against South Carolina, they did a great job of that the week before they played us. They come out against us, and we absolutely shut them down. I'm talking minus one rushing yards in that game. Forced Kellamon to throw the ball 42 times. We made them play left-handed. And we forced Tech to do the same thing. They had to throw it 21 times with, uh, with only five completions because, again, we were taking away what teams want to do first and foremost offensively, what they're built to do. And it, if it was just this one game against Tech, again, I wouldn't draw any definitive conclusions because Tech isn't good enough for me to do that. But this game against Tech just happens to be the latest example in what has been pretty much a season-long trend. So that's something that I, I, it continues to encourage me as we move forward. And we're going we're gonna to have to find a way to do it against LSU which will obviously be the biggest challenge of this defense to date, bar none, hands down. We all know that. But we're going to have to find a way to force them to play left-handed, and we'll talk more about this in the preview show later on this week. But to me, what that means is taking away their, their passing game. We're going to have to find a way to do that. Whether we make that happen on Saturday, I don't know. We'll find out. But through 12 games of the season, we've done a pretty darn good job. In fact, I would say a really good job of forcing teams to play left-handed. Just got to keep it going for a couple more weeks. Uh, and sticking with the defense here just for a little bit longer, we held yet another team to under 100 yards rushing and yet another team to under 3 yards per rush. That's 9 out of 12 opponents on the year that we have held to under 100 yards rushing and 8 of 12 opponents we have held to under 3 yards per rush. That's elite, folks. And, and yeah, again, I know, I keep saying this, I know it's tech, but that's what tech does, guys. They run the football. As I told you in the previous show last week, that's the only thing they were at least competent at this season offensively. No, they weren't a great rushing team, but they were like in the mid-70s. They were at least decent, average, slightly below average, however you want to phrase that. But that's what they want to do, and we just completely took that away. And that type of success defending the run... Again, previewing just a little bit of the LSU game this week. We'll have a lot more for you guys later on the week. But that kind of success defeating the run, that's going to be key this week against LSU. We'll get into that a lot more later on this week. 
but it's going to be imperative for us to be able to hold LSU's ground game in check with our front six so that we can play coverage behind it against that elite group of wide receivers and the guy who's going to win the Heisman Trophy, a quarterback with Joe Burrow. We've got to find a way to continue to do that. And so I know it's tech, but just another example of us being so stout against the run. Hopefully we can, hopefully we can carry that over next week. But before we move on, I do want to remind you guys about our good friends at Vivid Seats. If you guys are still in the market for SEC Championship tickets for this week's game against LSU, Vivid Seats is going to be the place to go. I can tell you guys from personal experience, they have the best selection and the best prices out there. And they're also offering up to $100 off for new users. I picked up a pair of tickets to the title game last week, and it was a quick, easy process. I found the exact tickets I was looking for in the exact location, the exact price point. Everything was right there for me. And I was also able to earn credit back as part of the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. And I didn't have to do anything for that. All I had to do was go to the App Store or Google Play, download the Vivid Seats app, and guys, they automatically enroll fans in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program where you get to earn credits back. So when I start making ticket purchases in the future for, I don't know, whatever bowl game we end up in, I will have a chance to use those credits on those tickets. And when you find the tickets you're looking for and it's time to buy, again, new users enter promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. All right, let's move on. Obviously, a lot to be encouraged about with the defense. That's no surprise whatsoever. We all know what kind of defense we have right now. But I also saw a lot of things on Saturday from our offense that were encouraging, that were signs that maybe we're starting to figure out some things on that side of the ball. I mean, guys, our offense, it's very much trying to evolve on the move right now. I've talked about this at various points throughout the season. It's just really hard to completely overhaul your offense in the middle of a season because you only have 20 hours a week to get your team ready for every game. And you have to spend the vast majority of that time preparing for your opponent, watching film, game planning, implementing that game plan, all that kind of stuff, installing the game plan. It takes time. So you don't really have a ton of time to go in there and say, you know what, let's just throw out the playbook and completely rewrite it from scratch. That's not going to happen. That's just not feasible. But you can make some adjustments. Now, if you have a bio, we give a little bit more time to do that. We saw that against Florida. But we are trying to evolve our offense on the fly here. And, and we're doing a little bit more each week. We're seeing some new wrinkles here and there every week. And we saw some more of those this week against Georgia Tech. And I saw some encouraging things that I think that we can build on moving forward. One of the things that I saw this week that encouraged me was the fact that we were operating more from under center than we have in some time in weeks. And this is one I, I'm somewhat torn on. You go back to the uh, the beginning of the year, I've been screaming since the first weeks of the season that we need to spread the field and force defenders to either vacate the box or leave themselves vulnerable on the outside. And from the South Carolina game on, we've done a better job of that and moving away from some of the heavy sets, those bunch looks that allow defenders to both play the run and defend our wide receivers at the same t- at the same time. We just weren't putting defenders in conflict as much as we needed to. But when you spread out, there's a catch-22 to all of that. When you run the ball from shotgun that consistently, you become a lot more predictable in what you do in the run game. We've been trying to diversify things by incorporating more outside zone, the little shotgun toss sweep play. Uh, But the bottom line is when the running back is lined up to either side of the quarterback in a shotgun set, defenses know like the majority of the time, the play is going to be run to the side of the ball opposite where they're running back in line. So if the running back aligns to the right of the quarterback, 
the vast majority of the time, if it's a running play, it's going to be run to the left side and vice versa. And so teams understand that. And we haven't been really running any kind of counters off of those things. So teams understand what we're trying to do. And they see that the vast majority of the time, wherever the running back is aligned to, whatever side of the quarterback he's on, the play's majority of the time, I'm going to be going to the other side of, of the line of scrimmage. So teams have been bringing pressures and slanting and stunning heavily with that in mind. Our run game just hasn't been as effective. Like we've been, we've been fine running the football, but we haven't been as explosive as we want to be. We haven't been as dominant in the ground game as we want to be, and as we need to be, especially with some of the issues that we've had in the passing game. So one way to rectify that, at least what we were trying to do this week to rectify it, is operate more from under center. Because what that does is when you operate from under center, it allows for more run game development. Diversity. The running back is directly behind the quarterback in those sets, which means both sides of the line are in play and defenses can't as easily predict where you're going to run the ball. Now, sure, you still have your tendencies and all that, but it's just not as easy to predict which sideline of scrimmage you're going to run to, which means it's not as easy for defenders to know where to bring pressures, where to slant, where to stunt, all that kind of stuff. It also brings our fly sweep action back, which we have not seen as much of lately. Uh, You can also get the old school power toss back into the fold. Your ground game is just less predictable from under center. So I was encouraged to at least see us work that back into the fold. We didn't do it exclusively, nor should we do it exclusively. We have to be uh, multiple on offense, but to see us bring it back into the fold a little bit more than we have seen it in past weeks, that was encouraging for me moving forward. I have to believe, like Dan Orlovsky mentioned this on the game broadcast, but it kind of backed up what I thought in the game uh, there on Saturday in the stadium. I was watching, I was saying, man, we're doing some things that we haven't really done either at all this season or we haven't done in a while, and we're bringing it back right now against Tech. Why are we doing that? That's kind of what's going through my head. Like, Why are we doing that? Because we don't need to do these things to beat Tech. And the obvious answer is we're doing this because we want to show something to LSU. We're putting that tape out there. We're putting that on tape so LSU can see that, and they can prepare for that and come up with a game plan to stop that. And then we're going to hopefully... You would think run some sort of counters off of that next week to try to give ourselves a better chance to score some points on this LSU defense. So just keep that in the back of your mind as we head into next week's game against LSU. Now, another thing that I saw that I was very encouraged about was that we we threw a couple of RPOs out there early in the game and really at other points throughout the game. And that's something that I've been calling for for some time now with how aggressively linebackers and safeties are attacking line of scrimmage when we show like any sort of run action. I mean, they are just like dead sprinting towards line of scrimmage. We hit a couple of the RPOs. Uh, we missed a couple of them from through behind Kyrus Jackson on one of them on the first drive. There was one to Landers later on that was tipped at the line. We just need to keep working on those, get the timing down, because I'm telling you guys, those RPOs are going to be there without basically everyone has defended us all season long. And I'd also like to see us diversify the RPO game a little bit more, run more than just a simple slant on those RPOs. That's a great start. I'm happy with that. It's a great start. But there are other things we can do in the RPO game that can really be effective for us. For example, run some seam-based RPOs when safeties trigger as aggressively as they do downhill. Those things are going to be there. And look, again, maybe this is a situation where we just wanted to show some basic RPOs, put that on tape for LSU, and we're going to run some different things off of that next week. I don't know. I would. I hope so. That'd be incredible. But at least it was a step in the right direction. That's something I've been calling for for a couple of weeks now, and it was very encouraging for me to actually see some of that put into action. Now, another thing I love to see, and this is a guy that, like, we seem to get a question on James Cook almost weekly regarding why he isn't being utilized more and and how can we get this guy more involved in the game plan. So I I know that's something that a lot of people out there have been been on for a while. So I love seeing us get James Cook more involved in this game. 
that seemed to be a concerted part of the game plan. Like we definitely wanted to find ways to get him the football. And again, go back to what I was just saying. This might be something that we're setting up against LSU. We'll see. But uh, not only does James Cook have great playmaking ability himself, we saw him make some plays in this game. Where I mean, you get the guy in space and he's going to make plays for you. He has that kind of electric ability. But you also saw the effect it can have on defenses with that 41-yard touchdown pass to Pickens. You know, in the second quarter, we put Cook in motion, as we've done several times, many times throughout the year, and we tried to throw the ball out to him out there in the flat, but Tech saw that, they scouted that out, good for them, and they attacked that action hard and recklessly, and from had to throw the ball away. So they won that one, they won that battle, but they did not win the war, because we came back to that same action in the third quarter, and again, showed the exact same action, and of course, Tech attacked Cook as hard and as recklessly as they in the second quarter and this time we sent Pickens vertical and he was wide open for the easy walk-in touchdown and that's an example of outstanding play calling and just ex- outstanding coordinating by James Cole. I know we've had our hiccups more than our hiccups that's that's putting it very lightly on offense this year but again I think James Cole is doing a much better job of calling plays in game the past couple weeks I think that's another example of that so with, with no cager for the rest of the year, it looks like, with his ankle surgery, and with Pickens out for the first half next week, we have got to find a way to get the ball to other playmakers. And Cook, guys, I'm, I've been saying it all year, and you guys know you've been telling me all year. We all know he's absolutely one of our more explosive playmakers on offense when you don't have cager and you don't have Pickens out there. This guy can make plays. We've got to continue to try to find ways to get him the football and allow him to go out there and make plays for us offensively. So yeah, this was a step in the right direction. It was encouraging for me to see that against Georgia Tech. Uh, Now, with as much man coverage as we see, one of the other things I've been calling for are very, very simple option or whip routes, whatever you want to call them, where the slot wide receiver or the tight end, or it could be a running back, just play off the leverage of their man defender. Short, easy throws that are extremely difficult to stop if executed properly, and that when you do execute them the right way, they can keep you ahead of the chains, keep the chains moving, and keep your offense on schedule. We saw a couple of those, and we've seen them at times throughout the year, just not with any sort of consistency. We did a great job of them uh, utilizing our running backs on some of those routes against Florida, and uh, had a lot of success with that, but we kind of of gone away from the past couple weeks. But we saw a couple of those this week. There were a couple of the running backs, and the most effective one of the day was the one to Wolf in the third quarter that he broke out for that big 47-yard game. And by the way, Wolf is another guy I would really like for us to try to find a way to get involved in the offense a little bit more consistently. Again, especially with Cajun Pickens not playing in the first half next week. I think Wolf can be a guy that can make some plays for us. He's done that throughout the year. Now, he's had some big high-profile drops too. I, I think we might have won the South Carolina game if he doesn't drop one on that third on that potential third-down conversion. But that's that's whatever. That's in the past now. I've got to move on. But I think he's a guy that can certainly make some plays for us. And we have kind of, I don't want to say we have a dearth of playmakers offensively, but when we're going to be out two of our, our two best receiving options, at least in the first half against LSU, I think Wolf's a guy that can step in and make some plays for us. He showed that. I and mean, that was, I mean, really, that was a simple little option route. Uh, the, 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 the defender had inside leverage. He breaks outside the option route, and then he breaks the tackle and takes it 47 yards. I mean, this guy has some athleticism for a tight end. I think he's the guy that can make some plays for us. Would definitely like to see him get a little bit more involved against LSU on Saturday. And oh my God, Tyler Simmons. Guys, Tyler Simmons caught a touchdown pass. He caught a pass, and it was for a touchdown. 
And it was a contested back shoulder throw. The type of throws that Fromm has made a living off of, but that we haven't had much success with this year because with Cager's injury issues, we just haven't had the personnel to run those plays as successfully. But uh, but in all seriousness with Tyler Simmons, I was really happy for the guy. Like I, I know he's been a, a popular punching bag, and like we've been guilty of that here on this show as well. We try to be objective. I don't like to kill our guys. These guys work their butts off for our program, for all of us in the Dog Nation. And Simmons has been just a, a great leader for this team. He's been a, a, a great locker room presence and just a, a great guy, a, a great program type guy. Now, he hasn't had as much success on the field as we would like for him to have and that we needed for him to have. Uh, but he's he's got he's the kind of guy that goes out there and does the dirty work. He's been a special teams ace for us for years. He's gone out there, been a big time blocker for us on the perimeter. Now he's had some drops, and uh, we know that. And, and some of those drops have really hurt us. But I was really happy for him to have some success on Saturday uh, in his final regular season game against uh, one of our rivals. So good for him. Uh, and I was also encouraged because our guys at receiver are going to have to step up and start making plays out wide. If we're going to go any further this season, they're going to have to start making plays. And with Cager out for the rest of the season, at least what it looks like the rest of the season, and with Pickens out for the first half next week, guys, Tyler Simmons is going to be on the field. Like that's just that's going to happen in the first half next week. He's going to be on the field a lot. Uh, Dominic Blaylock is going to be on the field. So to see guys like that start to make more plays in the passing game, that has to be at least somewhat encouraging. And again, I know Simmons has been a major punching bag all year long, but guys, we got to get behind him. We need him. We need him to make plays. Um, Blaylock's doing a better job. He's becoming more comfortable in the offense. So those kind of guys, like we need them to step up. And it was good to see both those guys make big touchdown catches on contested uh, throws as well. So happy to see that for him. And uh, I think that bodes well for us moving forward uh, into this game against LSU and, and hopefully beyond that. And obviously, obviously, as the president of the Jake Fromm fan club, I cannot get out of here today without discussing his play on Saturday. And and no, no, he was not perfect. And yes, he did complete under 50% of his passes for now the fourth straight game, which is just kind of still mind-boggling to me. But I, I don't, I'm not too worried about that number yesterday. Now, some of the, the past couple games, like, it, it was concerning. But I don't think the number from Saturday against Tech tells the whole story of that game and his performance in that game. I, I do think it's very fair to say that Jake was shaky on that first drive. He threw behind Kiaris in that RPO that I mentioned earlier. Uh, he Then he followed up by throwing one about three yards short of D-Rob when he scribbled out to his left. With I think he was over three on that first drive, three and out punt. But uh, I thought he was really accurate the rest of the way. He had to throw a number of passes away. That factors in your completion numbers. Uh, a couple of them were tipped to the line of scrimmage. And then there were a couple A couple of those incompletions were, in my opinion, the result of poorly run routes. And yes, guys, it's possible for our receivers to run bad routes. It's not, like when a pass is incomplete, it's not just Jake Fromm's fault. Sometimes it is. Like there's no doubt. Like some of those throws, I just went, went over some. Some of those throws are completely on him. But there are others that it might look like it was his fault and just a poorly thrown ball at first glance, but there's more to it than that. And I think we saw that a couple of times on Saturday. There was one to D-Rob that I believe was on a third down where, again, at first glance, it might have just looked like another inaccurate pass from Jake. But after watching it a few times, it's pretty clear to me that Jake saw the blitz coming from the backside. And like in the moment, in the stadium, I was like, God, Jake, what are you doing? It's a poor throw. But going back and rewatching, I don't, I don't think it was now. Um, it's clear to me that he saw the blitz coming from the backside. You can see he audibles into the quick out from the slot to D-Rob. D-Rob seemed confused uh, in that moment. The ball snapped, and Jake throws the ball quickly on a timing route to beat the blitz. But D-Rob kind of rounded his route off, and he just wasn't where Jake expected him to be. Like on those timing routes... You're, you're, as a quarterback, you're throwing to a spot. Like you guys, like as a, as a unit, you you make those throws against air at practice. 
day after day after day, get rep after rep after rep of doing those things. And you expect the guy to be in a certain spot. And it's pretty clear to me that D-Rob rounds his route off. I don't think D-Rob is completely sure what route he was supposed to be running there and where exactly Jake wanted him to be. So maybe you can call it a miscommunication. I don't know, whatever. But it, I don't think it was a poor throw by Jake. I think Jake threw the ball where he thought D-Rob was going to be and D-Rob wasn't there. So that's one throw. Uh, and that's kind of been the issue with our passing. And like Jake clearly, clearly has has not been as consistently accurate when as he needs to be at times like he hasn't especially the past couple weeks he has not been on his game with from an accuracy perspective and also the on the other side of the equation is young inexperienced wide receivers aren't always helping him out with the routes they're running with the side adjustments they're making they're not always helping out win those 50 50 balls when he puts the ball on the money and scheme was an issue too at times but i'm starting to see signs of james coley addressing some of those issues so i don't I'm not as concerned about scheme right now as I have been. There's some, some things that we need to work on and that we need to do a little bit more consistently. But I think we're making efforts. We're making strides in that area. But in, in this game, like Jake wasn't perfect in this game. He did miss a few throws. I, I, I readily admit that. We all saw it. He and he, what the, probably the issue I had in most of them in this game is the sack he took. He took a bad sack on the two-minute drive right before the half. He has got to throw that ball away. And honestly, I was surprised to see him just eat it there. I mean, Jake knows better than that. He is better than that. I was very surprised to see him do that. But saying that, he also made some big-time throws in this game. He he, uh, consistently got us into good looks in the run game. And he looked to get a little bit of that confidence back, which is huge, guys. I know... Jake Fromm's a polarizing figure for for whatever reason. I really don't quite get why he's so po- polarizing, but there are people out there that, that, that just look for him to make any sort of mistake. And as soon as he makes any mistake, they just jump on him and rip the guy apart. And I don't get it because this guy works as hard as anybody. He's been such a good player and such a great leader of this program, but we just want to rip down on him. I, I've said that before. I, I just don't quite get it, but uh, you know he's hearing all that chatter and he knows he hasn't played well. He knows that as, as much as as we want him to play perfectly, he wants it even more than that, guys. This guy knows it. So I, I he he's just been a he's been a great, great player for us, and he's been a great leader for us. And it, it's been concerning for me the past couple weeks to kind of just watch him on the field and see that level of confidence kind of just start to dwindle. But it seemed like he got a little bit of that confidence back on Saturday. And that was very, very encouraging for me to see in this game. And he also did another great job of protecting the football, which is not something many people talk about. But while he has struggled more over the past four to five games than at any other time during his career, he still hasn't killed us with the debilitating turnovers. And as close as some of these games have been, particularly the Auburn and Texas A&M games, one bad interception in either one of those games could absolutely have been the difference in those games. And he just hasn't done it. He hasn't killed us. Now, he's missed some throws. He's missed some plays. He's taken a bad sack here and there. That, and he's missed some reads here and there. Those things have happened. But he also hasn't killed us with those kind of game-changing interceptions that, uh, you know, we saw that against South Carolina. That, that I mean, we can't take that back. That that happened. You know, that was a, God, it was a terrible decision to throw that ball uh, right before the half where McQuamo picked it off and took it back to the house, pick six. I, I still go back to that game and say the other interceptions were not on him. That one was on him. Horrible decision. I know he wished he could take that back. I, for one, wish to God we could take that one back. But we got to move forward. And since that point, he has not made those, I mean, he hasn't thrown interceptions since that game. He has not made those mistakes that would kill us uh, in a game like Auburn or A&M. So it was good to start to see him get some of that confidence back. And because we're, we're going to need the best version of Jake Fromm this week to be LSU guys. We're, that's just a fact. We're going to need the best version of Jake Fromm. And, and we're going to see. I, I don't know if we'll get it. We'll see. I'll just say this, that more often than not, this guy has shown up in the biggest moments. 
whether it was the SEC title game last year, we threw for over 300 yards and it's a very good Alabama defense. Florida, each of the past two years, the Rose Bowl, go back to his freshman year, especially that drive late uh, to, send it, to send it into overtime. The second half against Notre Dame this year, he was huge for us. He's been big in big time moments and I still believe he can get the job done. But all in all, it was another W and another reminder to Tech where they stand in the grand order of things. But as old Paul Johnson once said, we got bigger fish to fry. And that is where our focus is going to be for the remainder of the week as we do our best here on the Glory UJ Podcast to get you guys ready for the big-time matchup against LSU in the SEC Championship game this weekend. We're going to have you guys cover the rest of the week with a ton of content getting you ready for that game. We're going to have our mailbag episode up later this week. I think on Tuesday we'll have that episode up, and we'll have our game preview show. And, of course, we'll have our Picks of the Week episode to wrap things up at the end of the week. It'll probably be our last Picks of the Week episode of the season. We've had a lot of fun doing that. Charlie and I have, especially getting our guest host on here. That's been a lot of fun. So we'll have one more of those. And we're going to try to do something for the Bulls as well. We'll get more information out to you guys uh, once the bowl matchups are announced. We'll try to figure something out there. Something fun that will allow us to interact with all you guys out there because uh, we appreciate everything you guys do to support our show. We want to try to give you guys a chance to get involved here as well. So thanks for listening, guys. I really do appreciate it. I'll be back later in the week with Charlie. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>